Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very Rocky Balboa. So sweatpants, sweatshirt. Anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear. Jonji makes performance apparel that'll take you farther on your runs and hikes. They have this merino wool hoodie that I wore on multiple trail runs this weekend. It's soft, it's warm, and most importantly, it does not get stinky when you get stinky. Another reason to love Jonji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to Jonji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at Jonji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I dot com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off. When I was a little kid, my whole family, grandparents included, packed into a Dodge Caravan and went on a two-week road trip to Wyoming. We saw the rodeo in Cody, a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park, and an epic thunderstorm near Devil's Tower. On that trip, I fell in love with the West and the natural world. This might sound cheesy, but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Um, so, Nate, this summer, I was vacationing with my family at Moosehead Lake in Maine. Yep. Uh, it's way up there in the woods, not very developed. Like, you can't throw a stone without hitting a deer or, like, a turtle or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, this place, it's this rustic cabin. My partner's grandfather built it by hand. Wow. So cool to be out there. You know, everybody sleeps in the same room upstairs. There's no TV. You know, you're playing Scrabble. Reconnecting. Yeah. yeah. So the lakeside of this cabin, you know, it's basically a bunch of huge windows. So you can look out over the water and see this beautiful view. Okay. But, but at night, you know what that means is that there are just like hundreds of maybe thousands of bugs and moths just, like, stuck to these windows. And beyond that, it's just total blackness. The only sound is the just the... <laughs> the gentle thumping against the glass. Like yeah. Like these uh-huh. big moths. And you get the impression that this, you know, you're in, like, a fortress under siege. So one night, we're playing Scrabble. It's late. We're having drinks. The kids are in bed upstairs. But at some point, like, I started to realize that a lot of the bugs on the glass are, are actually on the inside of the glass. Oh, it's like a horror movie. We go upstairs, and it turns out that we had left one of the windows open without putting a screen in, like maybe at lunchtime. Oh, no. And it wasn't too bad during the day because... They had plenty of other light sources to go to. Right. But then when it gets dark and your cabin is the only light in the woods, here come the bugs. We get upstairs where we had left the light on, mm-hmm. and I could see thousands of bugs just crowded on the ceiling and walls, like all around this corner oh, of the no. room. Oh, no. 
And by the way, the kids are just like sleeping, totally not aware of this. <laughs> and my my partner Jen is just standing there like, what do we do? Yeah. I just walked over and one by one with my index finger started to squish the bugs against the wall. You couldn't find something else? Well, I guess you want the kids to sleep. One by one for probably like 15, 20 straight minutes. Did you feel any remorse on the amount of life that you had been killing? Because I never do when it comes to little bugs. I the don't. bigger the bug I did. So, <laughs> Or maybe it's that like it feels grosser. Like you can f- That's really what it is. Yeah. yeah. I feel worse killing a wasp than I do a mosquito. The thing is, is like I also like you do what you have to do. Right. But it's like what is going on in the minds of these bugs? They were outside and now they're inside. You know what I mean? Like what what is their inner dialogue in this moment? I was thinking of the same thing when I had all the moths in my house and I was reading about it and I think For at least moths, it was just moon. That light looks like the moon. And they get inside your house because they're all like flopping around lights because they think it's the moon guiding them on their migration. Yeah, they're just really confused. You're the one that's like out of place in that space, arguably. I'm the monster. That's the moral of this story. (laughs) You were the monster. Secret Lives of Bugs. Mm. That's going to be the theme of today's edition of Outside Inbox, where we answer your questions about the natural world. I'm your host, Nate Hedgie. This time, mostly along for the ride today, as Taylor and the rest of the Outside In team picks through our mailbag of listener questions to learn about fireflies, metamorphosis, and more. We're like a, we're like a pair of podcasting chimps grooming one another for tasty morsels of bug knowledge. Yeah, we didn't need that. I didn't need that metaphor. That's good. <laughs> I'm good with that. that. <laughs> All right. Well, how about this? We'll just cue the inbox tone. Oh, there we go. So, Nate, Mm. I think we should start off with a question about one of the most mysterious biological processes on the planet. Um, And this question was submitted via Instagram, so we DM'd the guy and we asked him to call in. Hi, this is Chris calling from Massachusetts. My question is, what happens inside a chrysalis during metamorphosis? Producer Justine Paradise took this question, and the two of you started off by talking about what you think of when you hear that word, metamorphosis. Uh, Honestly, the first insect that comes to mind for me is uh, a moth. Yeah, I mean, I think that the monarch butterfly, though, too, is, I'd say, maybe the platonic ideal of metamorphosis. What do you think? It's like the prettiest metamorphosis. Yeah. It's like the prettiest one. Um, So I I use the monarch as my sort of case study here, and I called up Karen Oberhauser. Karen is an entomologist and director of the UW-Madison Arboretum. Yeah, metamorphosis is basically the definition of it is just changing. That's a complicated word for something that could be much simpler. Why doesn't science just call it changing? Science loves Latin, you know, metamorph. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So metamorphosis is not a term that we use to describe mammals. And that's because mammals like us basically have the same body as a juvenile as we do as adults. We just develop. Yeah, for the most part, except for that rough part that is puberty. But all of the flies, ants, bees, they all go through what's called complete metamorphosis, which is four stages. Egg, larva, pupa, adult. And that's a lot of change for a little insect. All of the changes are driven by hormones. 
Can you imagine if during puberty that we like grew a tail or reabsorbed an arm or something? Oh my gosh. Sometimes it feels like you're growing a tail or reabsorbing <laughs> an arm, even though you're not. But let's talk about what's happening when a caterpillar becomes a chrysalis. And a chrysalis, by the way, is a term we use only for butterflies. If it's another insect, it's called a pupa. Oh, I didn't realize that. I know. And so what happens is the caterpillar is shedding its skin. But instead of another larva skin underneath it, is the pupa or the chrysalis skin. So then inside the chrysalis, in the case of the monarch, some parts of the caterpillar literally dissolve. Like the caterpillar has the same six legs on the front that it'll have as a butterfly, but it doesn't need those big caterpillar muscles for climbing. So it just gets rid of them. Gone. Same with the digestive system. So the digestive system really changes a lot from being able to handle all that milkweed that lets it grow so much to just handling nectar. So bye-bye muscles, bye-bye certain digestive organs. All of the material is then used to construct new things. So the caterpillar isn't turning into total mush, uh, which is mm -hmm. a common misunderstanding, actually, and one that I actually held before talking to Karen. Yeah. Um, other parts do stay the same from caterpillar to monarch. For instance, the reproductive organs. The testes are paired in a male monarch, and it's, it is bright red inside the butterfly. It's, it's an amazing, or, you know, it's just this beautiful red ball. But it's also there inside the caterpillar. So that's an example of an organ that starts forming early on. So Karen told me that if you were to cut into a chrysalis, like, say, halfway through the process? Halfway through, you would pretty much see a butterfly, um, but it would be white white because the pigment is still forming and the scales are one of the last things to develop. It would it would be white and also really like peeved because you just cut into it halfway through its metamorphosis. Yeah, you would uh, have uh, kind of ruined the metamorphosis, I would say. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, monarchs are endangered, so don't do that. I feel like I go through a form of metamorphosis every winter when I put on my cocoon of, of winter hat and winter coat. It is funny how we use the word cocoon to describe wrapping ourselves in blankets. Or alternatively, mm -hmm. sometimes you say burrito. It's like you're either in a cocoon of blankets. Or a burrito. Very dry burrito. Yeah. All right. So up next, um, I've got a question from Travis Bonifoy, who asked us on Instagram, how do fruit flies just, quote unquote, appear when you leave fruit out too long? You've experienced this. Yes, I have. I don't want to know the answer, um, <laughs> to be honest with you, because yeah. I have an idea that it has something to do with uh, uh, eggs being laid. Okay. Well, let me answer that. Okay. Yeah. Um, just hold that thought for a second. Uh, you okay. Know, pe <laughs> people used to think that fruit flies spontaneously generated um, back, you know, this is like before we really understood a whole lot about biology. Yeah. And, and you can kind of imagine it because they do seem to go from like there's no fruit flies and then all of a sudden you're just like mm -hmm. smacking them out of the sky left and right. Um, right. The, the truth is, is that one or two probably flew in a window, you know, they're teeny or maybe it even came in with your produce. But as you pointed out, uh, it's, it's about eggs and about re reproduction. Mm -hmm. So female fruit flies can lay about 100 eggs a day. Wow. They lay them on the skin of your gently fermenting fruits and veggies. Uh, mm. they, they actually mature a little faster in the summer, which is one reason we associate fruit flies with warm weather. And, you know, yep. within a week, 
those eggs are full-fledged adults ready to reproduce again. And so exactly as you said, um, by the time your kitchen is being swarmed, they have been gestating for days on the skin of your you know, whatever it is that you're eating, and you have very likely been gobbling up those eggs in mass all the while. So I was grossed out by this, but I'm thinking now, A, great evolutionary trick, 100 eggs a day, pretty cool. Yeah. And B, a little protein, just a little bit of protein with your fruit. Yeah, exactly. As a vegetarian, I'm always tra- hunting for more protein, so just... Exactly. Oh, wait, does that mean it's not vegetarian, though? Uh, it does. It does mean it's not vegetarian. You're an insectivore. Wow. Okay. You know what? I'll take it. I would like maybe I should yeah. uh, make a exception for crickets anyway, because I know that's the protein <laughs> of the future. <laughs> okay. We need to take a quick break and go wipe down my kitchen. <laughs> uh, we've got more of your questions coming up, but first, if you have something you want us to answer, make a voice memo on your phone and then email it to us at outsidein at nhpr.org. And for our next theme, we are asking for questions on the topic of blue. Why is the ocean blue and not clear? Right. Why do we associate the color blue with sadness? I got one. Why the heck do they call it a blue-footed booby? Like, I get the blue foot part, but where does booby come from? Third grade me would really love to know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No question is too weird or esoteric for this segment. Again, the email is outsidein at nhpr.org. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Welcome back. This is Outside In, and we are currently rifling through your calls, your voicemails, your Instagram queries to answer questions about the secret lives of bugs. And for this next question, you were off vacationing, Nate. Lucky man. So Felix filled in for you. I answered the question, and um, the caller tape is a little iffy, so I will repeat the question afterwards. Hi, my name is Doug. I'm calling from Elk, Washington. And your question about fireflies intrigued me. Is the bioluminescence that they produce in their butts, the same as the bioluminescent, whatever, in the ocean. Thank you. Is the bioluminescence that they produce in their butts the same as the bioluminescence in the ocean? So, Felix, 
you've seen fireflies, right? I sure have. Okay. What about, have you ever seen bioluminescence in the ocean? Not in real life. I've seen them in like documentaries. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, there are different forms of microorganisms, algae, bacteria, and also these things called dinoflagellates. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes uh, they can produce this beautiful blue green glow. And, and when you like move your hand through the water or a boat has a wake, you know, it's, it's, it's gorgeous. It sounds like so much fun. Oh, it's, it's so cool. And my sense going into this story was that, you know, that kind of thing is rare and magical. But when I reached out to a woman named Deidre Gibson, she's chair of the Department of Marine and Environmental Science at Hampton University, which is an HBCU in Virginia, she told me it's not nearly as rare as I thought. Bioluminescence is perhaps the most common form of communication um, in the deep ocean. Communication. So it's like an Instagram post? Yeah. Just think about it this way. Most of the ocean, more than 80% is in what's called the abyssal zone, which is deep enough under the surface that there is no light. There is no sunlight at all. And they estimate about 75% of the animals that live in the water column, um, use some type of bioluminescence. 75%. That's a lot. And here's what's wild is that the vast majority of organisms that do this, both in the ocean and on land, so fireflies and algae, are using this same basic chemistry set. Mm. These organisms produce a special enzyme in their cells called a luciferase. That reacts with another molecule that they produce called a luciferin. Lucifer, the devil, comes from Latin for light bringer. And so both of those words come from the same Latin root word for light. It's a super cool name. And when um, they react, they get excited and they release some of that energy in the form of a photon. And um, the interesting thing about it is that reaction happens with very little heat emitted. I think what's really cool is that even though the mechanism for how most of these organisms produce light is the same, there are so many diverse ways that light gets used. So the firefly squid, for example, um, produces light from their underside Hmm. uh, so that if a predator is below them and they're like looking up, the light from the surface, sunlight, will blend with the light from their bioluminescence and act like a camouflage. It's something called counter-illumination. There's also an animal called a brittle starfish. It has bioluminescent limbs, but they're also detachable. So if a predator is like coming after it, it can break (laughs) off a bioluminescent limb and then the rest of its body goes dark and it tries to slip away unseen so that the predator just goes after the detached limb. Wow. So it's kind of a distraction. Yeah, exactly. But then on the other side, you know, you have predators who use lights to attract uh, prey. So, you know, the anglerfish is a classic example. And the bioluminescence in its lure, that's actually not being produced by its body. It has a symbiotic relationship with a bioluminescent bacteria that's harbored in that lure. Nature is so cool. <laughs> it's like all you can say about this, right? <laughs> Nature is just so dope. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of literally speechless. <laughs> like, this is... Pretty amazing stuff. So when we initially asked for questions about bugs, Nate, we um, got a whole ton of them about everybody's favorite insect, the mosquito. 
So to answer them all in one go, a blood-sucking lightning round, you might say, I called up Lyric Bartholome, a professor at the Pathobiological Sciences Department at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Lyric, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. The question I am dying to know the answer to is from our listener, Mackenzie, who asked us on Instagram, why do mosquitoes always bite me before anyone else? Like, what gives? So... What we know about mosquitoes and their attraction to people is mostly from research that's done on mosquitoes that transmit malaria parasites to people in Africa and mosquitoes that transmit Zika virus to us in the United States. So there's a study that shows that the African malaria mosquito is more attracted to people after they've had beer. Really? To people who have recently eaten bananas. We know from another set of studies, this mosquito Aedes aegypti that transmits Zika virus, for example, that mosquito in one study was shown to prefer people who had blood type O. And the same species in a different study was shown to like people who have blood type B. So there's conflicting results even within a mosquito. And just imagine how complicated that gets when you start to look at 3,600 different species. You know, you talked about diet a little bit, and Allison on Instagram asked, are mosquitoes more attracted to people who eat meat versus vegetarians? I guess apparently there are vegans on online forums like Reddit saying this is true from their own personal experience. So help us understand. Is it is it true? It's not surprising if somebody has gone from one type of diet to another type of diet that the things that they emit from their skin will change. Um, so it very well could be that somebody who shifts to a vegan diet from an omnivore diet is is going to react differently, probably would have different bacteria on their skin and probably would, re, uh, you know, sort of be differentially attractive to a mosquito. But as far as I know, there aren't good studies where somebody has actually like taken a bunch of people and asked them to switch to a vegan diet and, and shown conclusively that that, that is like a, a universal truth. This next question is from at Elton Appreciates on Instagram, and I'm going to paraphrase this question, but how does bug blood work? Blood in bugs is really like bathing all of their organs. It's not neatly captured in veins and arteries like our blood is, but the cells in bug blood are there also for an immune response, just like you and me. Um, You know, you, you get a a scrape on your skin and suddenly you've been exposed to all kinds of things, your blood and your cells would come to that place and clawed up the scratch, right? Like, and you'd get a scab. The same thing actually happens in a mosquito. So if I poke through the so-called skin of a mosquito, I actually can see a scab form in very short order. So here's another big picture question. It's from Matt also on Instagram. And he asked, Are bug sprays and mosquito yard sprays toxic to other non-nuisance bugs and pollinators? So sprays that you could buy at a big box store or if you hired somebody to come and spray your backyard, you will also kill all of the pollinators that might come in contact with the leaves that have been covered in that that spray. And I also think it's really important to understand that there are agencies around the United States that are involved in controlling mosquitoes. And the the sprays that are used in that context are, are actually a little bit different. If they're spraying to control mosquito larvae, those sprays are really environmentally pretty friendly and um, remarkably good at killing mosquitoes. So this next and final question is from Emma, and she asked us on Instagram, are mosquitoes good for anything? 
I would say like, well, are people good for anything? <laughs> there are absolutely ecosystem services, as we would call them. There are some mosquitoes, for example, that are important for orchid pollination in the Pacific Northwest. Um, we also know that there was a good study that was done in France that showed in a park setting where mosquito larvae were controlled really, really well, there were far fewer mosquitoes mm -hmm. for birds to feed on. And then the birds had fewer chicks. And so it wasn't that the mosquito control was toxic directly to the birds. It's just the birds didn't have the same kind of nutrition. Right. And so they were producing fewer fledglings. Wow. Okay. So I said that was the last question, but I actually have one more. Um, any parting thoughts or wild fun facts about mosquitoes that you want our listeners to know about? Oh, yeah. So some of your listeners are probably fans of Jurassic Park. A fun fact is that if you watch that movie closely, you'll notice that the old guy who started the whole island walks around with a cane, and on the top of his cane, there's like this sphere of amber. Well, the mosquito that was in the amber was a male mosquito, and male mosquitoes never feed on blood. And double down and make it even more poignant, that mosquito... Um, is actually a, a kind of mosquito where neither the male or the female actually ever blood feeds. And so uh, so I find that, that sometimes it blows people's minds to think that there are a whole bunch of mosquitoes out there that never, ever take blood. Lyric Bartholomew, thank you so much for joining us on Outside Inbox. I hope that scratched the itch. <laughs> <laughs> So to cap things off, I thought uh, I could answer one uh, last very practical question. Um, so let me play the tape. Hey, outside. And this is Jeannie calling from Burlington, Vermont. And I'm so happy to have reached you after trying various other eight something something go otter combinations that led me to various other otter named businesses. Uh, but here you are. I finally found you. The number, by the way, is one eight four four go otter. Although, what is an otter business? <laughs> Otters are us. Otter Rescue Society. The Otter Emporium. <laughs> <laughs> we sell otters twenty four seven. Fast delivery. Okay, here's the question. My question is um, about bug spray. I've always steered away from DEET. That's kind of how I was brought up. Um, then I tried this Naturopel with this product called Picaridin in it. I don't know how to say it. I don't know if it's safe. Am I just preferring it over DEET because DEET's got a bad name in my mind? Does DEET just have a bad name because it sounds kind of like DDT? Uh, and what's the deal with essential oils? Thanks. And I'll probably be leaving you another message soon. Bye. What do you think, Nate? What do you use? I have very little tolerance for mosquitoes. So if you're going to see me out in a mosquito-heavy area, I got the stuff that probably causes cancer. I got it all <laughs> over Yeah. Me. You go, you go, yeah, you go with the D. Yep, I go with the stuff that works. The way that you pose that, you can tell that this is something that, like, people have really strong opinions about bug spray. Yeah. Um, I remember when me and you went hiking in New Hampshire, and we got out the DEET, and you were spraying, and you were like, do not get it near your lips, your face. I will not ingest that stuff. You know what? Let me just, let me just start there. Okay. DEET is probably the most effective and almost certainly the most studied mm -hmm. um, bug spray there is. 
Uh, it was developed by a scientist working for the U.S. military back in the, like, World War II era. Uh-huh. Um, they were just, like, studying literally thousands of different compounds and chemicals to see, like, which ones do bugs not like? Right. And, yeah, I mean, it was it's obviously very effective. Uh, soldiers used to call it bug juice, and they used <laughs> it at much higher concentrations than we do today. Okay. And, and the safety issue that you're talking about, yeah, you don't want it in your mouth for sure. Ingesting it, um, and especially if you were to, like, ingest a bunch of it, that's where it's really, really dangerous. From what I can tell, there isn't any science that say it causes cancer, which is kind of what I thought. It's actually seizures. Ooh, seizures. Like, I definitely expected cancer, but not seizures. Truly. But the estimated incidence rate is about one in 100 million people. If you compare that when you think of to the rate of things like West Nile virus, you know, 225 people died in 2021 from West Nile. Um, also, D works on ticks. That's great. Yeah, ticks, not good. The weirdest thing about D is that we don't know why it works. That's a little creepy. Yeah, I think I feel like we should know why it works. Yeah. Our colleague Jeannie mentioned um, Picaridin. Honestly, it's not that much different from DEET. Both have been shown to have some mild negative effects on the environment. Like, fish are not fans of DEET, but uh, it shouldn't be confused with DDT, which is a uh, pesticide that was banned and is known for having really harmful effects. Yeah, I get them confused, I think, all the time, like DEET and DDT. And and I'll just tell you from, like, my web searching that, like, there's a lot of things that are saying, like, what's the difference between DDT and DEET? And so you can tell that that's a common, that's a common misconception. Right. A more natural uh, or kind of more natural product that also gets recommended, not just by people, but also by, like, the federal government, are products that use oil of lemon eucalyptus. Whoa! Yeah, did not know that. So Consumer Reports has done tests where they actually take some brave souls and they, like, volunteer to put their arm in a tank full of hungry mosquitoes. They better have paid those folks. I'm just saying. That is not something you just volunteer <laughs> your time and just do for the good of society. Yeah, I hope so, too. But based off of those tests, those three that we talked about are the ones that get recommended mm-hmm. the most. Stuff with DEET, stuff with Picardin, and um, oil of lemon eucalyptus. As far as decos, by the way, anything over 30%, Consumer Reports says, is not giving you any really additional protection. I'm going to have to look at my deep woods spray and see what what percentage that is. Don't need to get the deepest woods, just like (laughs) kind of in the woods. Yeah, medium deep woods. Um, Other stuff, you know, essential oils, citronella. It's not to say that they're not effective, but again, they tend to be less studied. And frankly, from what Consumer Reports says, is they just don't last as long as well. So those are the trade-offs that you're making. And I think for, for our caller, like, there's no great answer that I can tell you. But um, that's a gist. What are you going to use, knowing all this? I figure if you're not using it that much, then why not use the more serious stuff? And probably it's not too bad. I mean, it's like what makes things bad is constant, regular, high exposure. As long as you're using it all the time and you're being careful around your mouth like you taught me, you should be okay. Yeah, don't puncture your bottle of deep woods and try and chug it down. That will be bad. Don't shotgun your uh, your deep woods insect repellent. That's what we're saying. Don't, we shouldn't even have said that. It's going to be like the next Tide Pod problem. Like, people, like shotgunning insect repellent. <laughs> This episode of Outside In was produced and reported and mixed 
by Taylor Quimby, Justine Paradise, and Felix Poon. I'm your host, Nate Hedgie. NHPR's director of on-demand podcasts is Rebecca Lavoie. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of NHPR. And don't forget... That's it. I don't have anything else. (laughs) And don't forget, this is the show that you listen to. Don't forget us. At Delta, we know Mike NHC prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.